Here we go. Spring of 22. This is the 1080 Outdoors Podcast Land Management Series, where our main focus is pursuing the truth for everyday hunters like you. I wouldn't say it's kind of an FU, it's definitely an FU. Chronicle and document how our season's going and give you real-time updates, overall land management practices. You have to find a way to hunt big buck where they are. Welcome to the 1080 Outdoors Podcast, episode 120. It is early March and we're getting into the beef of spring of 22. Warmer weather is on the horizon. And we are getting closer and closer to turkey season. We're going to keep on the train of real estate and talk about timber value today and how we look at timber value, what we, how we use it as a possible way to pull off some revenue or some cash, and while it also works together to increase the value of the property. It's, it's an amazing thing because you can pull off a cash asset while improving the value of the property. Just think about that. It's hard to, you know, when you go in and demolish a house or renovate a house, you don't get to pull the two by fours out and and sell them at really any value if you sell them at all. Most likely you're just throwing them, throwing them away or burning them or using them. You know, I would just use them for box blinds. But So I apologize for the audio on this because I recorded this in a vehicle driving on headphones, so it's not the best. It's also not the worst. It's just not like this. So hang in there. Let's get through the rest of the winter together, learn a little bit of something or how I think of timber value when we're talking about buying properties and turkey season's on its way. Enjoy the podcast. And today we're covering timber value. So taking a look at the property that you were trying to buy and trying to and trying to figure out if there is an added value of a timber asset that can be pulled off the property. <clears throat> so when we're looking at properties that we want to buy, the first things that we look at is how can we service the debt or how can we produce revenue off of the land, off of the property. Um, and we'll get into that more. The last section of this is paying for the land. That's section 10. So we'll dive into more of like all those ideas. The timber value portion of that is just that. It's a one portion of paying for the land, and it's an important thing to look at when we're looking at buying hunting properties. <clears throat> so remember, if someone's listening to this that wants to put hard work in, wants to put your a lot of time in, and do a lot of good things for a property and essentially improve the quality of the property. This, the method that I'm using, and that's the method that I do to, when I buy property, that is great. You can add value to recreational land. I'm 100% positive of it. If you go into a property that hasn't been touched in years and then you even just put trails in, tree stands in, food plots, increase the wildlife, you will be able to sell it more per acre, 100%, as long as the market doesn't tank or something while you own it. So it's the same, you know, we have the same type of idea as going and buying a house, flipping it for a profit. The same thing can be done on land. <clears throat> you know, the quick, the, the quick 
type of profit making, um, I think it's there. I think I think land has the possibility to do these quick kind of flips to get properties into people's hands that are more of the I want a turnkey property. I want to be able to hunt it this year. I want a lot of the work done for me already. I don't have tons of time to spend um, up updating the property there's two different kinds of people i mean there's a lot of other kinds of people when it comes to buying land but when, we, when i'm looking at hunters those are the two types of people and we've talked about before on this podcast that if you're willing to go hump 10 miles in public land on weekends scouting why not and so say that you're, you're the guy that that pounds public land 10 miles a weekend shed hunting spend tons of time in the fall tons of time in the summer and then you're putting $1,500 away a month in a, in a Roth or something that your business or your uh, employer set up for you, <clears throat> I would argue that 1500 bucks a month would be more wisely spent putting it into land, whether it's a small parcel or not, and then putting, instead of 10 hours a week or 10 miles a week on public land, put five hours a week in on your property, and you have a valuable asset that you just increase the value of. And it's going to be, you know, good hunting for you. If you don't like it, if you don't like hunting just a 30-acre parcel or a 20-acre parcel, then you sell it and you move on and maybe buy a bigger piece. And you can still hunt public and you can still do that whole thing. I just look at people who are willing to put that much effort in to hunt public. And if they have money maybe going into retirement account or something or in a more kind of safe investment account or whatever, I think land is just a safe. You're going to get way more enjoyment out of it. And you have way higher chances to produce a more reasonable profit from it. So timber value is a big portion of that. Timber value is one of those things that when you're buying land in the hunting world, it's an important asset on the ground because say we go to a property and it has really mature timber. And it's not really conducive to, to good whitetail hunting or good turkey habitat, really just general wildlife habitat. We're in a situation in the Midwest where our timber is probably about as old as our timber has gotten since humans have been here. Um, and for a few different reasons, the timber has been set back because of of mass logging, you know, we're at a stage right now where like seven, 60, 70 years ago, a lot of these woods were, were heavily overgrazed by cattle. Um, for whatever reason, they were just grazing woods a lot. My woods is, looks like that. That's why I have buckthorn and invasives. And, you know, there's some big old oak trees that obviously were there. But essentially it was a silvo pasture, but it wasn't managed properly as a silvo pasture. Um, it was just overgrazed, where essentially it's free-range grazing, and you can tell. So those cattle spread all of those those seeds out of um, the buckthorn and honeysuckle and you name it. You see a lot of wood patches that have, were overgrazed with uh, um, those briars, just things that people might get confused as cover, but they're they're not. They're they're essentially sucking life out of the soil, not allowing anything to grow. It's deserts underneath them. It's hard to get through them. 
it's not what we want. We want a environment that is similar to a um, <clears throat> savanna, oak savanna type setting, which is trees, you know, 30, 40 years old is your main tree stored, your, you know, your tall trees, your mature trees, and then you have, um, you know, bushes that are conducive and native to the environment that the deer actually get, you know, some food value out of, and then that ground also produces, you know, forbs, things we call weeds that deer actually can sit and uh, consume while they're in the woods during the day. Because we're thinking, you know, deer are eating, you know, five times a day or whatever it is, four or five times a day, uh, you know, once and, you know, twice over darkness, maybe three times over darkness or, you know, those those golden hour type, first hour of daylight, last hour of sunlight. And then <clears throat> they're eating, they're foraging in the woods. So improving the food quality in the woods is only going to improve the bedding areas, improve allowing deer to thrive on your property. Well, the benefit of that is you go into an over, overly mature woods, it's not a great hunting property, as is. You go take those trees out, make some money on it in the short term, and then in the long term, it's going to pencil out as a better hunting property. So say you go in and pull those trees out, logger comes in, pulls trees out, puts trail system in there for you, you know, you have to be involved in that. You can't just tell a logger to go, to go take everything you want. Be involved. Be present with all the decisions on the property. Don't just allow people to come in and just say, go take care of this and accept the check at the end. Um, I think there's a lot of good loggers, but there's loggers have a bad rap because there's a lot of people who do just that. They say, here's the woods. I'll take as much money as I can. I don't care what you do. They essentially go in and clear cut any good tree, leave tons of debris, don't make trail system for you, and it can be a mess. And then, um, you know, you get paid, but there's still tons of work left to do. So when I look at the woods like that, I'd say the person who wants to work really hard goes in, takes care of a lot of the underbrush, the any of the evasives, and then bring a logger and say, I want roads put in like this. If you need to take a little bit more money on, off the logs, I understand that because we're looking at the long-term goal here of increasing the value of this asset. And the trail system is a pretty dang important thing to have. It just is. Whether it comes when you're selling the property or while you have it, it's just nice to be able to get around all parts of your property. It's important, and people want that. Think about the person who wants a turnkey property, who wants to be able to drive their UTV all the way around the property. Now, would we hunt like that? No. Would we, is it nice to have, say, you kill a deer and they dive down into one part of the property that you have access to all parts of the property? Absolutely, it's important to have that. <clears throat> That's what these people want to see. They want to see easy access, get in and get out, maybe tree stands in place, food plots in place, and success. I think you can do that in a year, two years. You know, you could do it even quicker if you wanted to. It's all about if you, whether you want to enjoy some of the work that you did or not. Um, so the, the beautiful thing about that is we're pulling cash off the property while increasing the value because we're, our, our, our idea of who's buying this is already made up. Our specific customer is made up. It's going to be a hunter or just a recreational enthusiast, no matter what. It's not someone's going to come in and nitpick the timber value. 
the timber value person that's going hunting property just like us. The person who's worried about the timber value on the property is just like us. They're going and they're finding the crappy properties, mature trees, and that's their life, you know. The hunter who wants a turnkey property or the city folk who want a recreational property with a trail system running through it, they don't come in and say, what's the timber value? We explain that to them. We explain, hey, here's another positive of this property. It does have some timber value on it. But they they really aren't educated in that. You know, our job as, as the realtors and agents for them is we do educate them on that. But if I have a, you know, if I'm selling a property, I'm not going around saying, hey, guess what? I took all this money off with the trees and you don't have any left. Well, number one, we wouldn't do that anyways because we would leave a crop. We want at least cuts, ideally, you know, every five to ten years. So you just come in and pull out the very most mature trees and, you know, break up that canopy that's over the woods, get some of that undergrowth coming, and then battle the invasives if you have them. If you don't have invasives, you have, like, maybe, like, a maple stand that's more, you know, I call them maple deserts or just a big oak stand, whatever, that you'll see in the woods. And it's actually, you know, decently managed without any invasives, but it's just kind of a desert in there. It's it's park-like setting. Those properties are awesome because then you just pull those those logs off, you get those sunlight to the floor, you keep an eye on the invasives that they don't creep in when you do get sunlight to the ground, and that's going to be a beautiful, beautiful property. Just look up, um, you know, when you're looking at things, if you want to look at a photo that would make sense to you, look at what an oak savanna is. You want grass and you want forage on the ground, and you want smaller trees as the highest as the higher reaching, um, it's all layer stacking of forage and, and vegetation. We're collecting solar energy. In a desert-like forest with very mature trees, there's one thing collecting so- solar energy, and that's the trees. Nothing underneath it's collecting solar energy, That's because, and that's why it's all desert. There's no grass on the ground. There's no forbs that are growing. There's no bushes that are productive besides the invasives that would grow out of a rock if you allowed them. We want armor, armor on the soil, okay? We need sunlight on the soil. That is the key, 100%. So we need to thin the woods, create armor on the soil, get stuff growing, and the deer are going to like that. The deer want to live in two to three foot cover. You know, those invasives are not, you will see beds in them, and you'll see deer in them, treating it as cover, that's just because they don't have any other option. You give them a better option, they will hang out in there much more in those type civil pasture type areas as long as you're not pressured. You know, you can't you can't cut it wide open and then have it wide open to a road and the deer can't even bed in there without people gawking at them. I mean, I have a couple spots that are like that and I will see deer bedding in there during the day. Um... Like I had a buck, I was driving down my road the other day, I looked over on this knob that's in, in the woods, that's about 30, eh, 50 yards off the road, um, and this nice buck was just bedded right behind a bush, right on this knob. I saw, I've seen groups of does there multiple times um, in daylight. Problem is, if one person slows down, like with the groups of does I've been seeing there, one person slows down, they're gone. It's too open. This buck let me stop and take pictures of him. Because I think he thought he was behind a bush and there was no way I saw him. I don't know. It was surprising to me. 
So I'm not saying they won't do it, but they won't. I don't think they regular. They don't regularly. They don't on a regular basis. Trying to talk here. On a regular basis, they do not bed there in daylight hours. I think they bed in that spot a lot at night. Um, maybe stage there, and then once they start getting uncomfortable with people gawking or something, they, they'll move off up into a, another area. I think they prefer that area. It's a great spot for them. It's a nice little bench, secondary type bench off a hillside. Um, there's, I know there's grass that grows on that little knob because there's, it's, it doesn't have any trees and it's open to the canopies open above it. So it's, uh, it's a good spot for them. But, we, I, but the places that I can observe like that, we're just trying to create them over and over again in more secluded areas. Because we do know, like, they don't want to, they might want to keep eyes on people, but they don't want to be easily seen. And by that I mean, like, I've found beds, found good buck beds that you can tell are used and abused. And they are not far away from people. And some of them have openings where they can see them. We would never be able to see them in a lot of the spots. You know, picture yourself sitting in a woods 150, 200, 300 yards away, looking out over into an opening. You can see everything but a person standing out in that opening 300 yards away. Like you would see the person 300 yards away, but that person 300 yards away looking back at you is not going to see you. They won't be able to pick you out from all the, from all the woods and stuff and debris that's in the way. So creating these types of situations for the deer is just going to be more benefit to the overall hunting property. The more time they spend in daylight, the more chances you're going to get to kill them. The beautiful thing about timber is it's a it's a cash asset that you can pull off the ground. And I'm not going to lie and say that it's an easy thing to cash out on because you have to find a logger to do it. And I would say if I'm looking at properties from now on, my my woods is about 25 acres, you know, really like 20 acres. It's not great woods. Like I said, it's, you know, 40, 50 years ago, there was cattle that abused it. And then there's a lot of invasives that come up. There's a lot of junk trees in there. I have some walnuts that are huge. So when you get into actual timber value, walnuts are far superior to all other trees currently. Um, they have been for some quite, sort of quite a quite a long time, and they seem to be the most stable tree. You know, the, the, the timber market works kind of like the stock market, and when you hear that tim, like lumber costs are up, doesn't necessarily translate right back to the, the uh, timber market. So you might think, oh, lumber prices are up. I can't buy a 2 by 4 for less than 6 bucks. Well, obviously my timber must be worth a lot. It seems to me that it's like a six-month to a year lag time. Um, and now the timber prices, I guess, are a little bit better in a, as a result of those spikes in the lumber prices about a year ago. We do have another – we had a drop in lumber for like two months, and then it spiked back up, and I think it's still high right now. So, you you know, timber prices will probably hold pretty steady now through the next year, I would suspect. Um, walnuts currently are the highest value timber you can get off your property, and it's by a long shot. You know, oaks, popple, 
even pine can be used as like framing material or used in um, you know some type of construction work. They aren't worth that much. Um, getting into specific types of trees, there I, I look at them. Most of them as all pretty equal, except walnut. Walnut is far far superior. I think the last logger that came in said that they're about 10x in the value of them compared to a big oak tree. So it's just got to hope and pray that there's some of them. Identifying walnuts, you know, when you go visit a property is a big thing. Like if you can get away with a walnut stand that maybe the farmer barely knew he had or it wasn't properly, you know, told on the listing, you could get away with a gold mine. But most of the time, people are going to know where those walnuts are, and it'll be on the listing. I haven't seen, I've only seen one property that it was priced directly because of the walnuts higher. But they also had 60 acres of uh, planted walnuts that are about 10 years away from being harvested. Now, granted, in 10 years, the market can switch a lot. So there is some some risk in it. Walnuts have pretty much been consistently the best for a long time. Um, but you just have to be aware it is a market that's like a stock market. So there is no... Like that property for this situation wouldn't be good because it's just you still have to wait 10 years and if we're not planning on holding 10 years, it kind of defeats the purpose of this whole conversation. Got this, this topic is more about like there are ways to pull quick cash off properties. And those properties are incongruent with the properties that we want because most likely the large mature forest stand is not good hunting for the most part. And if it is good hunting, then you can increase it even more. I guess I shouldn't say it's not good hunting. It's not good habitat for deer, turkeys, whatever. They want that sto- they want that that cover that that three to four foot two to two to three foot storage of cover um, and they want forbs and they want bushes they can eat they cannot eat buckthorn they cannot eat honeysuckle they don't eat it it's trash all it does is provide a little bit of cover I think they'd prefer even uh, some of the trees that you cut down pile them up in a line and make a back wall for them and then have a vast opening above in front of them they would much rather prefer that than having to use a line of buckthorn as their back cover or side cover. So you can create those things. A logger will go in and take all the trees, and there's probably going to be a lot of treetops left. You know, try to pile those treetops in, in nice piles, and, you know, number one, you're creating habitat for rabbits, and number two, I see a lot of deer bedding on the back sides of accidental down trees. So a tree falls accidentally in the woods, in a good spot, or maybe a two trees, one tree falls down, another tree on top of it. <clears throat> I guarantee, if it's in a good spot with the wind, those bucks, there's going to be a there's going to be a bed in front of it. They're going to bed right up next to it, or go and, and find the beds that are right at the base of a tree. <clears throat> they want to bed um, with some type of wall, either behind them, in front of them, to the side. You know, the buck that I saw the other day had a bush that he bedded that was in front of him. His back was covered by a steep hill, 
he was just tucked into a bush. He could see through it. I think his assumption was I couldn't see through it, even though I stopped and looked at him. But he felt completely protected there. He never even moved. He just laid there all day. I, I saw him all day from 9 a.m., and I'd check on him throughout the day, and, and he, I watched him get up out of his bed about 30 minutes before, before sunset, and he moved out. So that was a really cool experience. Anytime you get to see a deer bedded, a bedded like that, especially a nice buck, man, that's an observation. That is a cool thing. Think about how many days deer bed in the woods without you being able to observe them doing that. And I got lucky enough to, to watch one for a day just because, I don't know, it was a weird, it was a weird coincidence. And it's a great spot for a bed. I don't know what made him bed there then. I'm sure there's deer that fed there throughout the fall, and you just can never see them with all the the leaves on. And that's probably that's probably like more of a true case of the, that that bed's used more often than I think. It's just now we're getting into the end of winter, and it you can see everything. So, the key takeaways here are, you know, look at what you can pull off of as far as assets when you buy something. Most likely. It's going to come from timber. You know, if you bought a... F- There's really no situation as far as the egg purposes where you could buy something and then usually take that off because if someone's renting that, they have the rights to it. I mean, they might pay you par- a portion of it or something. Most of the times when I'm seeing transactions go through, like in the fall time, there's just like some type of agreement that has to be made between the landowner and then the person that's buying it on what happens to that rent. But, yeah, there's, it's very rare that you could, unless you bought like a grass field and could make hay on it, there really isn't that many other things, like just solely vacant land that you could pull cash off of. Timber value is a big one. So it's, you know, that's another reason why I like those 50-50 properties or, 60-40 properties, you know, even, I'm starting to lean more towards even 70-30-80-20, where 80% is, is cover woods, and 20% is, a, you know, egg fields or food plots or production. You know, technically speaking, my 60-acre farm really only has five acres of food plots, and... The rest is either cover or, you know, pasture. So really, if you break it down to uh, what the hunting area is, more like 30 acres of woods and those, well, more like 40 40 acres of woods and kind of like CRP and then five acres of food plots. So 45, yeah. Yeah, you're looking at... 85, 15 there, somewhere in that range. And, and I definitely wouldn't say that I have a shortage of food because they, two years in a row now, they've made it through the food plots in February. So I am considering shrinking them a little bit to try to push that kind of last. It seems like right before, like the last, it only takes them like two weeks if they fully, fully commit to a, say like an acre of beans. 
you know, we, we keep them around a lot more because of those cover crops. So they're actually grazing on the greens as long as they can, it seems like. And obviously they'll pick some soybeans. But when we got into February and the snow got a little deeper, then the beans were gone. And I would say there was two solid months of good feeding activity on those fields. Um, when they fully, fully commit to the beans, then it's like two weeks of every, seems like every mature buck is on it. It just happened to be the last two years, both, both those times have been after a season. So my idea might be to shrink some of those food plots and, and force them to hit them earlier. But I also, I think we're at a good spot with food, or I feel good about it. And it's, it's nice to have those locations to collect sheds. So, you know, last year we found a ton of sheds out there. I haven't found any yet. I haven't looked super, super hard. I kind of want the snow to get melted and just it's easier to look find them. But I have done some quick searches for them because I'd seen some pictures of uh, deer that I lost them, like obviously on cell cameras where they walked <laughs> walked through with horns, came back two hours later with one side gone or both sides gone. Um, and I thought I'd be able to just easily find one out in the field. But I haven't had any gimmies. Last year I had a few gimmies by now. So it's something, uh, I guess, to wrap this, this topic up. Um, timber value is something that should be looked at seriously. It could easily give you a decent decent return. You know, good, good property, or I'd say like an average property with mature trees that needs to be cut. You're looking at, um, it's so tough because walnuts rank so high. I would say it seems to me that a good stand of mature hardwoods could be like a thousand to fifteen hundred acre, like clear cut. And then you throw a walnut in there, and it could all of a sudden jump to like five, because one walnut could be twenty five hundred, three thousand dollars. So you mix, so like the quote I got for 20 acres, and I'd say it's below average for timber value as far as all the other timber on it. But we have like five walnut, like four good walnuts. You know, they quoted like 15 to 20,000 worth of timber value. Um, so most loggers are taking like a 70-30 cut or a 60-40 cut or... Um, one logger said he would take 50-50 on, like, the lower quality trees and then do 70-30 on walnuts. So think of that, too. Um, and, you know, they're salespeople. They're the ones making So you have to trust them, too. Like, you have to take their word for it. I've had three or four different people come through. They've all kind of arrived at the same number at the end. So I do, you know, trust the fact. You know, I have – so it's not – it's like 750 an acre, but with those walnuts, I don't know, it's more like 500 an acre on my property, but our wood sucks. It's not good timber value. And still, that's for 60 acres, you know, well, then think of it, 25 acres. If you're buying 25 acres of timber for 4,000 an acre, let's say, if you could get up to 1,000 or 750 to $1,000 that you're pocketing from that per acre. That's a quarter of your your investment right there. 
You know, that's one quarter. I'd run that money, and I would run it into making sure we have really good trails, really good, you know, set. I would just take that money and improve the property more and then, and then have a bunch of value-added things to it and, and sell it at a premier rate is what I would kind of look at that as. But, or you can take it and put it in a an account and help pay, you know, the bills, help pay the, pay the mortgage. You know, I we worked with a, a, a client who had bought a 250-acre property. I don't remember. Maybe it was like 210 or something. Anyways, the long story short, there was a lot of good walnuts on it. He bought it for cheap, old farmer, didn't. The realtor that listed it didn't have, understand the value of the timber. They came in and pulled eighty thousand dollars off in timber, and I think it was, I think that must have been because there was a lot of field, because he was, he was going to get like fifteen thousand dollars a year for rent. So think of two years as fifteen thousand dollars a year. That's thirty thousand. Took off eighty thousand. Ended up being about one hundred and ten thousand in revenue projected, you know, guaranteed for the first two years because the 80 already came and their liability was only on a loan was only like 40 to 50,000 a year. So they had the first two years of that loan covered and, you know, they're going to hunt it, make it way better, put trails in, food plots in. And I was like, when, when, what other type of venture could you essentially, well, other real estate ventures, I guess, but you can't get as much enjoyment out of it, and you can't get an interaction with land if you just flip a house. And like a house, you could, you could, you know, fix up rent. It would essentially cash flow itself until you wanted to sell it. You could, from the money, you know, cash flow, or from the rent money, you could pay for the property while you have it, and then unload it, and it's essentially a free and clear, you know, increase in profit where you're not actually pulling out of your own piggy bank to pay the liability on the land. Um, plus, that depreciates. You know, you have to worry about taxes on some of this income, but it's nothing crazy. You just you know, you don't get all of it. But think about how powerful that is. So say they bought it. I don't know what he bought it. Say they bought it for a million. I don't think he bought it for that much. But say you buy it for a million. And you're able to make payments on it for two years off the stuff that you did on that property. So rented the cropland and took a really good load of timber. Two years. You increase the value. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what two years ago was? A way different market than what right now is. He could sell that, and it's probably dang near doubled in value. Definitely, It's definitely been a 50% increase if not. So you're looking at say you say you sold it for one five then that's five hundred thousand you never even made a payment out of your own bank account you just signed paperwork with a loan company you know if you made if you made the first two months payments or three months payments and then you got a log you pay yourself back from that logging money to let the logging money and the rent money take care of the payments for two years and then in two years you either have to figure out either start making payments or you uh, sell it and walk away and you have a hell of a chunk of change to move towards the next property. I mean, there is a real estate investment model when it comes to land. You just have to think differently. It's not as cookie-cutter as buying houses and buying rentals and buying multifamily uh, you know, duplexes and apartment complexes. 
you know, those are much more simple. They're also much more popular. There isn't as many people doing these types of uh, real estate investment flips because there isn't as many tax, like we talked about. Go back to the episode with Gabe where we talked about tax benefits of land. You don't get the benefits like you do on owning uh, uh, houses and property. But it's also a way more stable market. Land is much more stable if you go back through the years. There isn't, they don't have a yo-yo effect like residential and apartments do. Um, not to mention today's age, land is, is the, the value of it's not going anywhere. You know, more and more people want to go rural, more and more people want to live out in the country and get out of cities, at least have a piece of land that they can get to or get away to. Uh, and it's people like us who are in these areas now who enjoy this type of work, who enjoy doing these types of things anyways, we might as well make some money while doing it. We might as well make money while doing what our passion is. If your passion is not in, you know, cutting trails in the woods and using a chainsaw and and mowing and, and managing property, then, you, yeah, you're not going to do this. But most likely, if you listen to this podcast, it is. And there is avenues for you to be successful and to buy property, and there's ways to pay for it. We'll get into more ways to pay for it when we get to, you know, the 10th segment of this. I wanted to make sure we got this episode out because I know it's been a little while since we have, you know, the real estate market has been busy. I've been busy. Got a kid coming on the way. Um, so I'm going to keep trying to do these podcasts as much as we can. I know Weston and Jed have been busy uh, doing a lot of things. I hope we get back into some more of the Turkey podcast. Um, but if, you know, if not, it's, I'm happy with where this podcast is at. I'm happy with what we've done. 120 episodes in. You know, it is what it is. It's. I hope we can help some people with some of this land stuff. And I hope if you have any questions, you'll reach out to me. You know, I work as a land specialist for Compass Realty Group. I'm certified in Wisconsin. But I also do um, consultations for people with properties all over the Midwest. Um, and we do that virtually. And it's not very expensive. So if you, you know, have, have a realtor in your state, but you want to talk to me and, and get my perspective, I wouldn't give you technical real estate advice as part of that, but I'd give you land management advice, and um, at least you'd be talking to someone who kind of understands this this stuff. And that's that's usually the biggest battle. You know, most of the realtors I'm even working with that are in the same field as me don't necessarily have. Well, a lot of them just aren't, you know, like hunters like this. So it's just, you know, it's not, it's not really you know, their fault. It's just, it, a lot of real estate companies see the value in land and they're residential or whatever and they want to pivot into it and somebody gets tagged that responsibility. Or there's a lot of, you know, people who's been doing it for a long time and they haven't necessarily kept up with the new trend of things and, so reach out. My number is 608-606-9118. My email is taylor at 1080outdoors.com. If you have any questions about buying, selling land, or improving your property, we are doing land management consultations. Um, you can visit 1080outdoors.com or driftlessregionland.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a good spring. Turkey hunting's coming soon.